Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of police service, the author of A Cop's Life and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Uh, welcome to today's show. If you are watching or listening to this on the America Out Loud Network, uh, I welcome you to another uh, episode where we talk about all things law enforcement. Before we get started today, uh, I'm going to introduce to you today's guest, and I'm going to give you a little bit of her bio information and then uh, let her explain a little bit more about why she is on the show today. Her name is Jennifer Gesselman. And she has, uh, she has quite a bio. She's a retired, well, actually, she is just about to retire as a uh, probation officer. She's, she's really a short timer. Uh, after 25 years with uh, Arizona probation. During her tenure, she supervised thousands of defendants ranging from minimum to intensive caseloads and has served as a defensive tactics instructor for many years. She's earned a Bachelor of Psychology from University of Arizona and a Master of Social Work from Arizona State University. She's a certified personal trainer and behavioral change specialist. Jennifer is the owner of Thin Blue Line Performance Coaching, where she works solely with law enforcement officers. Her coaching program is designed to help law enforcement officers create a life they love. And uh, her passion is helping clients develop a personalized plan to increase performance and optimize their lives. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you, Randy. So you are very happily about to retire from your, <laughs> law, from your law enforcement career. And now, uh, but you want to continue to serve. And the way that you've chosen to do that is to create uh, this, this uh, business opportunity of, of co coaching law enforcement officers. If you would, just tell a little bit about your background and, uh, and why, you've, why you've chosen this path. Uh, like you said, I'm retiring in, I think it's about 14 days. Uh, oh, you know exactly the days. <laughs> it's 14 <laughs> days from today. I'm retiring. Um, and it's just time for me to retire and let the younger officers take over. Um, my passion working with officers, law enforcement officers, it's such a hard, difficult time right now. And I want to help officers get their lives back together. And the reason why I started, um, I should have printed out a picture. I was nearly 200 pounds one day and I woke up and I was miserable. And I read Dr. Gil Martin's book. <laughs> and it was like a light bulb in my head. I'm like, this is what's wrong with me. Uh, I need to get my life back together. I'm still on my journey. I'm halfway there. I've lost about 25, 30 pounds. So I started looking around and about that time, uh, one of my friends, two of the fellow officers killed herself. And I was taken back and I thought, what is going on? And that's where the passion in me started with, I want to help people. I'm married to an officer. I know what it's like. It's really, really difficult. And because of the unique things in this job, your life changes and you change. And sometimes it's not for the best. And that's where I want to step in. I work with a coach and they help me and I'm getting my life back on track. And that's where I want to help officers. So when you, what are the mechanics of that? You know, I, I, of course I'm familiar with coaching, but how do you take someone contacts you and says, I want to, I want a, a positive change in my life. How does that work mechanically? 
Well, at that point, I, I would do an intake. I would sit down and talk with them um, before we even started the coaching, find out what their goals are. The areas I work in are like nutrition, exercise, sleep, hobbies, relationships, finances. Um, there's a big thing called negativity bias where uh, our job makes that more difficult. And you take your personal life and, um, well, actually your work life becomes difficult and then it spills over into your personal life because we're trained to look for negative. So I work in those areas, but I would, they would contact me. I would go over, you know, like a brief interview with them and see what their goals are because coaching is about what the client wants to do and what their goals are. We don't go into the past or anything. Everything is, you are here. What do you want your life to look like? Interesting. So now th th is this done in person or is this done virtually? How do you, how do you work that? By phone or just, you know, by computer. It, you don't have to live near me. And actually most of the people live farther away, which is completely fine. That's the blessing of today is everything is virtual. So yeah, not necessarily, I mean, I can do in person. So however it works for the client. How long is a session with you, um, you know, after the initial strategy, where do I want to be, where, what, what's the, what are the time factors involved? We meet every other week for about 50 minutes and go over goals. Uh, I have areas, like I said, like one week we talk about nutrition for a little bit and then we flip into talking about your goals and what you want to achieve. Next week we go over like exercise and what you would want to do and then go back into coaching over the goals so uh, the first bit of the coaching is structured because there's certain areas that are typical for police officers to have issues with so we go over those areas and then we go into you know how did you do last week what's your goals what do you want to do but it's every other week for six months you said that you were you were you were how heavy almost 200 pounds wow and you lost all that weight and and that was as a result of you coming to some life decisions for yourself um right. I, I noticed you referenced dr gil martin's book which of course is the yeah. bible for for many yes. law enforcement officers and um it's interesting that his book would play such an instrumental role in your life um so when you made this decision to change your own life how far down the road was that where you said, you know what, I want to help others? Um, I started probably with Dr. Gilmore's book about three years ago. And then it was, um, I had already been a certified life coach at that point. I just didn't know what I wanted to do and what population I wanted to work with. I was thinking women and weight loss. And then just one day I woke up and I'm like, I want to work with law enforcement. And that's when we started to change in society and, and it, everything started to become a lot more negative towards law enforcement. And I just woke up one day and I'm like, this is a great population that they, and they need help. I did. So, sure. you know, it's out there. And actually Dr. Gil Martin, um, he still plays a, a role in my life, which is awesome because he has referred me to Dr. Greenwald and they're studying like the metabolic syndrome in officers and they're starting to, um, incorporate me into that group. So I'm, I'm learning a lot about the metabolic syndrome and how that's uh, specific to officers and, you know, how it affects you. And so Dr. Gilmartin, I, I have a lot of um, 
praise to give him because he has changed my life. And it's funny because he he did my psychological 20 years ago for a probation officer. No kidding. So, yeah. Life works full circle. full circle. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, if someone um, wants to connect with you, uh, what is the, um, of course, you know, this is a, 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 a for-profit business that you have. Uh, what are the right. costs involved? Um, it, it, it's $1,200 for six months. And that covers, uh, if you have issues in between, you can email me and call me, but we meet every other week for six months <clears throat> and over different topics. Gotcha. Now, tell me, give me a success story. I want to hear, I love to hear success stories. Let me hear one. Uh, I think my biggest, I, I mean, it's kind of in me right now, um, <laughs> you know, that I'm, I'm focused on, my life has completely changed. I'm still new in the business. So I, I, I'm reaching out and teaching and working with people, but I would say the biggest success I can come up with right now would be me. Well, I think that's probably the best gauge, isn't it? Yes. All right. So, so let's talk about, uh, you know, you have, you spent 25 years in law enforcement as a probation officer where you've dealt with, you know, sometimes the worst of the worst. And your husband is an active duty police officer. So you've seen, you've seen it from both sides, both as the spouse of a police officer and as a probation officer yourself. So when you think about the impact that you want to have on the lives of law enforcement officers, how is that going to manifest itself? Is it going to be through um, not just coaching, but through speaking engagements as well, and and, and actually, you know, getting in front of uh, in front of law enforcement to spread your message? Yes, I'm actually just starting to teach, and I'm working on presentations, and I want to I want to help with the health and nutrition, and that goes back to Dr. Gil Martin and Dr. Greenwald. But uh, it's really really interesting how like the metabolic disorder affects officers especially and they he's actually they're working on developing a, a blood panel test that would help uh, discover certain things that are specific to police officers because you know the stats show the average age of a heart attack of an officer is 49 and then the public at 67. so there's some issues there that we need to look at and they're linking it back to metabolic disorder and insulin resistance and so i i'm finding that very fascinating and i would love to get out and educate officers because you could be completely fine you could not show symptoms but have insulin resistance starting because it takes like five over five years for it to start showing up where you have a problem so i'd love to get out there and start helping officers and say hey you might feel okay today but you need to kind of watch what you eat look at how you eat because this is what happens oh uh, this is this has been an issue with law enforcement for as long as I can remember. I mean, <laughs> listen, we, we didn't, we, you know, sometimes stereotypes come from reality and, and the, right. the donut eating uh, right. fat police officer, that, that's not always altogether wrong, correct? I mean, we have to, right. we have to look at that and say, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we look at the uh, mortality of law enforcement officers when they retire and cops are dying way too young after they retire. And much of that has to do with nutrition, with with right. emotional health, and mm -hmm. so that's where you're you're going to focus your right. your the next phase of your life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's what they say: fifty percent of officers die within five years of retiring. I mean, you work this job and you get beaten up, and then that's what you look forward to. That's. I want to stop that. I want to help and work with <clears throat> other people 
and let's get healthy. And, you know, that's, that's my passion right there is just to make sure every, everybody's okay. So you're, you're really going to go into this full time um, in the, after, after you, you go through the next 14 days and you actively, re- actively retire. So I want to say, I mean, I, I wish you the best of luck with this. How can officers reach out to you? They can get a hold of me uh, by my website or email jennifer at thinbluelinecoaching.com or they can call me at 520-870-1802 or my website is uh, thinbluelinecoaching.com. Thinbluelinecoaching.com. So, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Your Your continued dedication to uh to a a group of people that are that are seriously in need of knowing that they are being supported and this is a proactive way for our officers to uh lead a a a better healthier life and uh i want to wish you the best of luck with your with your new venture Thank you. And I want to say thank you too, Randy, because everything you're doing to help officers, I, I've seen some of the behind the scenes and I know that that's your passion in life. And I know that that's your entire focus and you've dedicated your life to helping officers too. Right. And I just hope with people like you and me working together, we can help our officers get healthy and stay healthy. I, li- I, I like your line of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. And we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. It's uh, Jennifer and uh, ThinBlueLineCoaching.com. So, all right, let's get into some some of my uh, news stories that we're going to talk about today. This has been another brutal, brutal week for law enforcement. Since our last show, more officers have died in the line of duty. More attacks have taken place on officers. And, of course, at the end of the show, we'll do our end of watch segment, which is just something that is heartbreaking. But let's talk about some of the crazy, insane actions that that law enforcement officers, you know, I talk about the war on cops frequently. And the war on cops is much more than just the, 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 the physical attacks against law enforcement officers. There is there's so much to the war on cops. It is physical, it is emotional, it is so destructive from the point of view of mental health. The realities are this, that more officers will die by their own hand than they will in the line of duty at the hand of someone else. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, and one of the things that I, I asked Jennifer to be on the show, because there are avenues for improving our lives and getting a more positive outlook. Unfortunately, law enforcement officers do be, become sometimes jaded and, uh, and, and, you know, from seeing so much negativity, so much cruelty, so much violence, it can have a severe impact on the lives of law enforcement officers. But the other part of this equation is that constant bombardment by the media where they are portraying law enforcement officers in in a light that is not true, uh, taking uh, instances where there may be misconduct or may just appear to be misconduct, and then lumping an entire career path 
of, of, uh, of men and women that have chosen to serve and then painting them in, with the same broad brush. That's something that's, that's happening all over the country. In fact, let's talk about lawmakers because in many instances, the lawmakers of the individual states, of the cities, and also of the federal government, sometimes the lawmakers are causing the problems uh, that, that are facing law enforcement officers from a, a myriad of different standpoints. This is a, a headline that came out just, the, just this week. This is from the uh, Police Tribune. Maryland lawmaker wants to strip pensions from officers convicted of crimes. Now that may sound on the surface, well, you know, if a, if a police officer is going to is going to commit a crime, maybe they maybe they should lose their pensions. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about a, a little more in depth so you understand. Baltimore, Maryland, an anti-police state senator from Baltimore doesn't think it's enough punishment for a police officer in Maryland to receive a sentence if they are convicted of a crime. She wants to take away their pensions also. Democratic Maryland State Senator Jill Carter proposed a law in early January that would strip convicted law enforcement officers of their state pensions. It would require officers to forfeit all or part of their pensions if they are found guilty, plead guilty, or plead no contest to a qualifying crime they allegedly committed. Under the list of qualifying, qualifying crimes would be any felony, perjury, or a misdemeanor related to truthfulness and veracity. The proposed law would apply to any officer who is vested in the state police retirement system. This is what she said, allowing citizen-funded payouts to officers who egregiously violate the laws they are sworn to uphold, endangering the public in direct conflict with their public appointment to protect and serve cannot continue. This is what she told the Senate Finance Committee. If passed, Police officers would join a list of public employees whose contracts have forfeiture provisions, including the governor, lieutenant governor, comptroller, state treasury, secretary, and the entire generally general assembly. So let's see what that means in terms of reality. So a police officer can serve honorably for 20 years, 25 years, and then they get caught up in what might turn out to be uh, a, a crime that involves a, even a misdemeanor crime that involves a truthfulness. Now, what does that mean in, in terms of reality? Suppose I'm under an internal investigation for, say, a use of force. Uh, I, I, my story is such, and the governing body, internal affairs, or the city says, now we're going to find you guilty anyway. Now we've seen this time after time where because of political expediency, officers are being convicted of, of crimes when in fact the, uh, the realities are far different. But because we have seen this take place, uh, even after a, a number of years of, of solid service, that can happen. And now this lawmaker wants to take the years that this that an individual put into the system and just wipe it away now who gets punished when that happens the officer sure but who else how about the wife how about the children 
this is more of the double jeopardy uh, um, syndrome where lawmakers want to create an environment where they are creating more punishment for police than they would for anyone else. So this is um, this is part of uh, now. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I, I'm not making. I'm not making excuses for wrongdoing in law enforcement. Just the opposite. There needs to be accountability. Misconduct needs to be investigated. Corruption needs to be investigated. And I believe that in certain situations, uh, th that it's not an improper thing to to uh, forfeit a pension. But it can't be done on a blanket basis. Uh, it has to be done on an individual basis. And if, if that were to take place, I think that would be um, a, much more, um, a much more fair system of justice. So I'm not, I'm not for the blanket statements like, like this, uh, this lawmaker is making. My fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Talking about the safety of law enforcement officers and the war on cops, this is a headline that is startling. This is out of Fox News. More cops killed under Biden than previous years. More police officers have been killed in the line of duty under President Biden's leadership than in prior years since 1995. A law enforcement nonprofit wants the president to start speaking up. While officer line of duty deaths reached record highs beginning in 2020 due to COVID-19, killings of officers are also up according to the FBI's law enforcement officers killed in action data. And a spokesman for the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, a 20-year police veteran, Jason Johnson, said, we believe it's a combination of the George Floyd protests, riots, if you will, 
a general feeling of preference for less law enforcement and less prosecution and less policing. Law enforcement officers have essentially been marginalized and demoralized and cast aside and encouraged and encouraged now to enforce the law. And so we've seen massive jumps in the homicide rates in cities across America. Now we know that. We've watched, we've watched the violent crime statistics skyrocket. You know, I, I've heard the word spike, bad word. It's a surge, it's a surge of violent crime across the country. And we've seen it in all of the major cities. Some in, in, you know, have, have homicide rates that have gone up by 60, 70%. And it, there's a direct correlation between the President of the United States and his, his uh, uh, soft on crime policies, the weaponizing of the Department of Justice against police, which has the effect of demoralizing law enforcement officers, which then begins a cycle of what we call de-policing. What do I mean when I say de-policing? It's also sometimes called the Ferguson effect because we can, we can point to the uh, uh, effects of, that have been seen on law enforcement officers, most notably from the Ferguson riots that took place back in, uh, in Ferguson, Missouri. So the Ferguson effect, the de-policing in, in the, in, throughout the country is when police officers, instead of being proactive, proactive policing as opposed to reactive policing. And what has been happening is proactive policing has not only seen a massive diminishment in, throughout police departments throughout the country, but also we've seen a, a, um, a, a disability of law enforcement. When I say a disability, a disability of being able to be cops. That is, they are being forced into a more reactive stance as opposed to a proactive stance. And this is due to the political pressures of from the president on down. The president has never been fully supportive of law enforcement. Now, he'll point out that he is, he's, says he's not against defunding the police because we know that that across the United States is not what the voters truly want. But there's a big difference between saying the words and then the actions of actually supporting the police. And we haven't seen that from him. In fact, just a, a week ago, after the murder, the brutal slayings of two New York City police officers, the president made a trip to New York, and it was very, very highly anticipated to meet with the mayor, who is himself a former police officer, retired cop, to talk about this, this tsunami of crime in New York City and other, and other cities. Well, he came out in, with a very mealy-mouthed kind of approach. Well, he said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for defunding the police. We need to, we need to enforce gun, gun laws and such. Well, in, in doing so, he didn't even call out the criminal element who is actually committing these, these crimes. Instead, they seem to be focused on, quote, illegal gun trafficking, 
And they kept on mentioning these ghost guns, he and the governor, Hochul, who is without a doubt um, an enabler of, of the criminal activity. The, the true realities are right in front of everybody. It is the policies that were put in place by Andrew Cuomo and the former governor, who Hochul has now replaced, the former mayor, de Blasio, who worked together with the city council and the state legislature to uh, create this revolving door justice system where justice is never served. You have the, quote, bail reform, unquote. It is one of the most despicable policies ever put into place. When I say that, it's because it enables violent criminals to commit more crimes instead of holding them accountable, all in the name of, of, of justice. Well, what about justice for the victims? It seems like the victims of violent crime have become completely marginalized. We used to, you know, having been a cop for 34 years, I remember when the respect for victims began to grow instead of lessening. And now we're seeing just a, 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 an opposite effect. We're seeing, we're seeing almost a, a deifying of violent criminals as opposed to a, an environment of compassion when it comes down to the crime victims. There was recently a, a murder in New York City, and the person who did the, did the killing I was a person of color. The victim was a person of color. And the mother of the victim was re-victimized by the criminal justice system when it came down to the prosecution or lack of prosecution of the killer of her child. And this is, it is going to take parents and the, and the relatives of victims across the United States to unite and to call for justice, because we are seeing this same syndrome that is that's taking place in New York. We're seeing it in California. We're seeing it in in Minneapolis. We're seeing it all over the country, where in the name of social justice, the victims are being re-victimized over and over again, and it's unfortunately going to have to take a concerted effort by you and I, and all of our friends and neighbors and the citizens of this country to finally say enough is enough. To vote people out that embrace this system, that embrace this culture, that embrace this hatred of, of law enforcement and embrace the culture of criminality. That's what it's gonna take. Um, we all know what's happened in Portland over the, over the last couple of years. It is, it's almost impossible to believe what these officers in Portland have had to put up with in for years now. The night after night assaults on these officers during protests and riots that, that were literally a nightly experience for them, where they were under attack nightly by Antifa, by thugs, by Black Lives Matter ostensibly protesters and they they were firebombed they they were they were beaten with with objects they had lasers shined in their in their eyes 
and their their city government instead of defending the officers and creating an environment of some semblance of justice and safety completely abandoned them and took all the tools away from them that they needed to be safer and so cops were getting literally assaulted every single night for an extended period of time i actually spent a significant amount of time in portland during what was essentially a um, a siege on the police this was downtown this was at the federal courthouse this was in the downtown area of portland used to be gorgeous i remember beautiful it was now it looks like it looks like a war-torn uh, lebanon uh, with all with with the stores boarded up because they couldn't maintain the glass enough because it would be broken every single night by violent offenders but the city government did nothing and as a result the portland police bureau who by the way i've been around cops for decades these are some of the most dedicated highly trained officers i've ever seen and having interacted with with literally uh, many of of those on that department i saw i saw what was what was happening in a, in a major way and that was that these highly motivated highly trained experienced police officers simply gave up and said I, I can't do this anymore and so as a result there was a huge uh, mass retirement or just quitting of officers from all ranks now they're down to a point where wait times for for critical calls are are uh, are, are becoming an almost emergency situation so the, the Portland City Mayor, the Portland City Council, which has been absolutely destructive when it comes down to, to the, the morale of the, of the police officers, have now come face to face with a crisis. And that is not enough cops to do the job. Because at the end of the day, what's, who's going to protect the people? Even after all the, the, the noise, the moaning, the, the, uh, the, the criticism, the, de, quote, defunding, all of the actions, many of the irrational actions against law enforcement officers in Portland and other places, uh, when, it, when the rubber meets the road, who is actually still out there facing the criminal element? It's the police. That's not changing. And although there are some in our society who want to do away with the police, the vast majority of people have at least enough common sense left to know that that would be absolute anarchy. So Portland has now seen the, um, the, the rush to the door by their cops. And now they're desperate. So here's, this is the... Uh, this is the headline, and, and this is from uh, also from the Police Tribune. Portland offers retired cops big incentives to come back. Only two express interest. Portland Police Bureau said the mayor's recent attempt to lure back recently retired officers failed miserably, with only two out of 81 potential applicants expressing any interest in the, quote, retire slash rehire program. Portland Mayor Tom Wheeler, who 
I got to tell you, is one of the worst mayors in history when it comes down to law enforcement. He's all, not only is he the mayor, he is the police commissioner. Don't ask me how that works. Tom Wheeler advocated for the rehiring campaign when it became clear the staffing shortage on police department had reached dangerous proportions. So it took, it took the crisis to actually spur him into some sense of action, even though as inept as it is. Wheeler said at the time he announced the rehiring program, he hoped to attract as many as 100 former Portland officers out of retirement back onto the force. The mayor called it a short-term way to solve the staffing crisis because it bypassed the need for months of training in the police academy. This is from the Oregon Public Broadcasting. The Bureau has also been actively recruiting for the police academy and offering high signing bonuses, but nobody's coming. Who wants to be a cop in Portland? We currently have about 80 officers who will be eligible in July to retire. The chief, Chuck Lavelle, explained, instead of seeing them leave and our numbers decrease, it will allow us a vehicle to bring them back and keep them from leaving and prevent what essentially would be a retirement cliff in July. So in other words, they've already lost, they've already lost a significant amount of cops. They're trying to rehire those guys back because they know in July there's going to be another another dramatic decrease in those officers because they're just retiring. They're not staying any extra time. They have to. The Portland Police Bureau is supposed to have 882 sworn officers, but right now the police force is 96 officers short. That's more than 10%. And they were already understaffed, by the way. Retired officers who participate in the Retire Rehire program re-enter the police force at the same rank and salary that they retired. But the program won't work if nobody wants to keep working as a police officer. The Portland Police Association, this is where you actually get the truth, right? Portland Police Sergeant Aaron Schmatz had some of the, said some of the potential applicants were turned off by a clause that said, quote, any officers who were found to have violated city policy by cooperating with federal agents to attack Portland residents were disqualified for the program. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that the federal courthouse, which was the object of the, of the attacks by many, during many, many nights, they were firebombed. They were, uh, they were um, burglarized. And so the, then President Trump brought in federal marshals to protect the courthouse. They put up this massive fence around it. And they actively arrested people who actually, I know this will shock you, commit crimes. Well, the, the police department sent in their cops to help on several occasions when things got out of control. And what does the city council do? They, they attacked their own cops for actually helping other law enforcement officers enforce the law. And so in this clause, what they're saying is, if you're a police officer and you were doing your duty and you were helping federal law enforcement protect its, its property from 
from the criminals, the violent criminals, the rioters who attack, then you're not, you're not going to be allowed to come back. It is absolutely outrageous. Outrageous. So in one hand, and this shows how, just how screwed up the, the Portland City Council is. On one hand, they're begging their cops to come back. And that's what this is. They're literally begging their police officers to come back. We're going to pay you more money. We're going to give you signing bonuses. You, you, you're, you're going to get, you're going to be brought back and, and you're going to be loved. Well, they all know it's nonsense. And what, the, what that clause shows every cop that might have even been thinking about coming back that what they're there's that they're still playing politics with with the entire program it is it is incredible so this is doomed to failure and of course who's going to pay the price the citizens of portland well i citizens of portland hear me loud and clear you voted these 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 morons into office until you want to stand up for yourself and vote these morons out of office you're going to continue to play with the safety of you, your family, and the and the lives of, of the people who visit Portland. Although, of course, the number of visitors has dropped uh, significantly because of what Portland has become. But but you know what? It continues. The lawlessness that the government officials seem to embrace is continuing at every single level. We see it in Portland. Now we see it. DHS stops deporting many illegal convicted felons, saying they're not, quote, priority, unquote. U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement has canceled the deportation of a number of convicted felon illegal immigrants because the U.S. Department of Homeland Security no longer considers them priority removals. The list of prisoners were no long, who are no longer priority included uh, a Mexican national who was drunk driving when he smashed into a car holding uh, a 19-year-old that uh, subsequently was killed. And the effect that this is having on the morale of the, of the, of the officers of ICE is, is dramatic. We reported here last week that the director and the and the cabinet appointee of President Biden were very contentiously um, had a very contentious meeting with the with the the rank and file the, the the men and women who were actually doing the work and they they didn't hold back they they told uh, Mayorkas and they told their uh, their bosses that what they're doing is is criminal. I mean it literally is criminal. They're they're allowing they're allowing the the border to be absolutely overwhelmed with illegal immigrants and now they're not even deporting the criminals. This is criminal. And and here's what Mayorkas says. So so they have they have these Gang members who are who have been convicted of all kinds of heinous crimes being stopped the few times that they do get stopped, and they, and they they release them. And here's what this is what Mayorkas says: For the first time, our guard let me try that again. For the first time, our guidelines will, in the pursuit of public safety, 
require an assessment of the individual and take into account the totality of the facts and circumstances. The fact that an individual is a removable non-citizen, therefore, should not alone be the basis of an enforcement action. We will use our discretion and focus our enforcement resources and our country's well-being require it. Our country's well-being, if Mayorkas, if the President of the United States cared about the public, they might actually stop some of the influx of the criminal aliens into the country in the first place. But no. And then if you are a member of the of the immigration service, your morale is at the to is at the bottom of the toilet because of the way you're being treated, of the fact that you you as a law enforcement officer are not allowed to enforce the laws. And you're watching this take place every single day and you are powerless to stop it because of the criminal collusion at the very top levels of government. And it, and, and it goes on and on. Um, documents, this is one of my, this is one of, one of my, uh, I have to say one of the most disturbing headlines. Documents reveal Seattle mayor considered giving police precinct to Black Lives Matter. Now you remember that, that, that the police precinct in Seattle, where they had the chop zone, where it became autonomous, and, and the mayor there, this moron, uh, Jenny Durkin, uh, she basically surrendered the streets to the criminal element, to Antifa, Black Lives Matter, to, to gang members, and, and actually, now that, and she she denied this originally, but now the documents are sur are, sur are surfacing. City leaders were crafting a plan to cave to rioters' demands. They turned the Seattle Seattle Police Department's East Precinct building over to Black Lives Matter during the George Floyd riots. At the same time, officers were being ordered to abandon the building. Do uh, Seattle Times obtained documents that showed that then Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin and the city's Department of Finance were up to while officers were battling back rioters in the area that would ultimately become the Capitol Hill occupied protest chop. Yeah, the, the autonomous zone, right? Well, now both Durkin and former Seattle police chief denied having given the order to evacuate and abandon the East Precinct. And the mayor attempted to distance herself from rumors that she had been ready to hand over the building to protesters. But that's exactly what happened. Never before, never before have I ever heard of a police precinct being abandoned by the police officers at the, at the order of a city leader. It, but it happened. And as a result, it, it placed these Seattle police officers in, in incredible danger. And literally, they were forced to abandon in, in, a, in, in what was essentially, essentially combat. They were under attack. And instead of being allowed to fight back and retain that precinct, they abandoned it at the direction of their police leaders and their city leaders. One of the most shameful events in police history. And now the, the, the truth is coming out about who was involved in this. And this was the mayor. This was the former police chief, Best, who 
as far as I'm concerned, is pretty much useless. They're together, they combined to allow lawlessness in the city of Seattle. They allowed blocks to be taken over. Now there's a ton of lawsuits being levied against against the city of Seattle. And they're going to wind up having to pay millions and millions of dollars because they destroyed the livelihoods of the people who, who actually pay taxes and, and, had, and had businesses there that couldn't survive this, this um, new world order of, of occupation by Antifa and thugs and criminals. It's one of the most shameful moments in history as far as I'm concerned. And, no, and you know, they're always, we have to hold the police accountable. Well, it's time, I say, to hold the politicians accountable. Now, Durkin fled because she knew she wasn't going to get reelected. And Carmen Best, she left because of her frustration. I, and I, you know what, and I feel kind of sorry for her because she had a no-win situation. She was facing a hostile city council, a hostile mayor, and was basically, you know, left in a position where she could not, she could, she could not survive as a chief of police with any sense of dignity or trust because she was forced to toe the party line, so to speak. So this is, once again, all part of the war on cops. You know, this, this, this was part physical, emotional. The, the officers, I talked to several of the officers who were on duty that night at the precinct. And, and literally, they had to flee for their lives because they weren't given the resources to fight back. Weren't given the resources to fight back and literally had to flee for their lives. Just like, just like, hmm, does that sound something like Af Afghanistan? Just saying. Well, at this point in the show, it's time for what I unfortunately call the end of watch segment. And during this segment, we eulogize and memorialize the lives of the officers who gave their lives in the line of duty the previous week. And it seems like every week I have more and more names to read. So this is a, this is a particularly tragic one. Uh, it's just, this is heartbreaking. Police Officer Donald Sahota of the Vancouver Police Department in Washington. Police Officer Donald Sahota was inadvertently shot and killed by a Clark County Sheriff's Office deputy while attempting to apprehend a robbery suspect who was attempting to break into his home. The suspect had fled police after robbing a gas station on Northeast 117th Avenue in Vancouver. Officer used spike strips to immobilize the car, but the suspect was able to flee on foot. As deputies were searching for the suspect, a woman called 911 reporting that a man who fit the robbery suspect's description had pounded on her front door asking for help and claimed he'd be involved in a collision. She informed the call taker that her husband was an off-duty officer and had gone outside to detain the man. The suspect and Officer Sahota became engaged in a struggle, during which time Officer Sahota was stabbed several times and dropped his firearm. The suspect broke free and began running towards Officer Sahota's house. Officer Sahota retrieved his firearm and ran after the suspect as Clark County deputies arrived. One of the deputies perceived Officer Sahota as an armed suspect and shot him, not realizing he was an officer and the homeowner. Suspect was taken into custody. 
Officer Soda has served the Vancouver police for over seven years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Police Officer Donald Sahota, Vancouver Police Department, Washington. End of watch, Saturday, January 29th, 2022. Police Officer John Painter, Bridgewater College Police Department, Virginia. Police Officer John Painter and civilian campus safety officer J.J. Jefferson were shot and killed while responding to a call involving a suspicious person carrying a duffel bag in a restricted area of Memorial Hall. Officer Painter and Officer Jefferson contacted the su subject. After a short interaction, the man opened fire on them, fatally wounding both. The man fled on foot and he was taken into custody. The man was a former Bridgewater College student. Officer Painter had formerly served as the Chief of Police of the Grottoes Police Department. Police Officer John Painter, Bridgewater College Police, Virginia, end of watch Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. Sergeant Chris Jenkins, Loudoun County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee. Sergeant Chris Jenkins was struck and killed by a tractor trailer while attempting to move a ladder from I-75 near mile marker 74. The ladder had fallen off the back of a utility truck and created a traffic hazard on the interstate. Sergeant Jenkins had brought traffic to a stop with a rolling roadblock and then exited his vehicle to remove the ladder. An oncoming tractor trailer was unable to stop and struck Sergeant Jenkins, his cruiser, and several other vehicles. Sergeant Jenkins was a military veteran. He is also the first cousin of Deputy Sheriff Jason, Jason Scott, who was shot and killed in the line of duty in 2004, also while serving with the Loudoun County Sheriffs. Sergeant Chris Jenkins, Loudoun County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee. End of watch Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. Captain Colin Burney, Flint Police Department, Michigan. Captain Colin Burney was killed in a vehicle crash on Elms Road. An oncoming vehicle was attempting to pass other cars when it lost control and struck Captain Burney's department vehicle head on. Captain Burney was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran. He had served the Flint Police for 26 years. He is survived by his wife and two daughters. Captain Colin Burney, Flint Police Department, Michigan, end of watch, Friday, February 4th, 2022. And Correction Officer 3, Helen May Smith, North Carolina Department of Public Safety. Correctional Officer 3, Helen Smith suffered a fatal heart attack while responding to a disturbance at the Passacoatank Correctional Institution in Elizabeth City. Shortly after the disturbance was resolved, she suffered a medical event. She was transported to a local hospital where she passed away. She is survived by her husband and two children. Correctional Officer 3, Helen May Smith, North Carolina Department of Public Safety, end of watch Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, serving and protecting. May they rest in peace. As we come to the end of our show, I ask you to do this. If you want to contact me, I am on Facebook under the voice of American Law Enforcement. I'm also uh, very accessible at randy at thewoundedblue.org. I would really like you to go to thewoundedblue.org. That's our website. Check us out, see who we are, see what we do. If you truly want to support the American Law Enforcement Officer, here's a tangible way to do it. The Wounded Blue helps injured and disabled officers across the country. It is a nationwide charity. It is a 501c3. Any donation is tax deductible. And we've helped more than 13,000 police officers in the last two and a half years. We don't care if you've been hurt physically or you've been damaged psychologically or emotionally. We're here to help. I have a, an incredible peer team. When I say peer team, these are all officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, and faced 
serious post-traumatic stress injury. Every one of these men and women want to continue to serve, even though maybe physically they cannot serve as law enforcement any longer because of the extent of their injuries, but they still do continue to serve by, by letting those officers who have been injured and disabled in the line of duty know that they're not alone. You can see by my shirt, never forgotten, never alone. That's what, that's our motto. By the way, if you want one of these shirts, you can go to our website and go to the shopping area. And we have some pretty cool gear. There's some new stuff coming out. We've got some hats coming out. We've got mugs, all kinds of pretty cool stuff uh, by our partner, Relentless Defender, who creates all of our, all of our clothing. So if you can donate, donate. If you want to help, if you are a police officer, have been, and you feel that you want to serve as a peer team officer, contact us. Contact me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Let me know, and we will accept your application. And when we uh, when we put in another training class, which is coming up pretty soon, uh, you can become part of the team, and you can serve. So once again, go to thewoundedblue.org. Check us out. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to connect with me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org, or go to our Facebook page, The Wounded Blue. Thanks again for joining me here at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I am Randy Sutton, and we'll see you again next week. 111, 110.